Fortnite in Film is a podcast where every week you get the chance to listen in on a group of film lovers chatting about the great, or not so great, movies that we've been watching over the past fortnight. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of A Fortnight in Film. I'm your host Jason. And I'm your co-host Jacob. Thanks for tuning in. So we have a like a weird mix of films, I feel like. In a sense, they all, like not, I guess weird, yeah, weird in, the, in how they all come together. Like they're not all of the same, you know, persuasion. But I do feel like this is a good episode because it sort of, I guess, gives a bit of a glimpse into each of our film tastes in a way. I feel, I feel like the films, each of us have picked a very like representative of our film personalities. I, I think I think George's film and my film has pr- probably given you a bit of a hard time, you know, <laughs> with uh, watching. Well, I, I did say to George in our last episode, I said, I'm, I feel bad for Jacob because he's picked three films so far and I haven't liked any of them yet. But um... <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I think hopefully, I'm going out of my way. Yep. Yep. Just for that. Hopefully that will improve. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Although not in this episode, unfortunately. But um, <laughs> maybe, maybe you can talk me. Maybe you can talk me around your film. I don't know. I, I am open to it. Yes. So, um, uh, some of the films are a little bit complex. I think you know, going on yes. the theme of orcherism <laughs> and and all that jazz. You mm. know? We'll kick it off with my film, which is probably the most normal of the three, which is uh, Dallas Buyers Club from 2013, um, directed by Jean Marc Valley. The film stars uh, Matthew McConaughey and also has Jennifer Garner in. I thought she was Hilary Swank for like the longest time in the film. And when I looked it up after, I'm like, oh, it's Jennifer Garner. I'm like, I swore that was Hilary Swank. It isn't. It's Jennifer Garner. Um, Jared Leto is in it as well. Not a huge fan of Jared Leto myself. Um, <laughs> not not to be on that bandwagon or anything. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> I mean, are you a fan of his music? Do you like his music at all or? I'm not a huge fan, no. I, I don't know if he started off as an actor or... I, I think he started off as an actor and then he started 30 Seconds to Mars with his brother and then he's like gone back and forth between the two. So the film is actually based on a real person um, called Ron Woodruff. And so he is a, a he's an electrician and a radio cowboy um, and he, he likes to uh, live it up as such with lots of sex and drugs and... Uh, maybe not rock and roll, but rodeo stuff instead in the place of uh, rock and roll. Very hedonistic. Yes, very. And uh, <laughs> he, because of this lifestyle of his, uh, he ends up contracting HIV slash AIDS, which at the time, so this is, this is set in... A, it was the 1980s. Yeah, 1980s, yeah. At that time, and still to this day, it is, I guess, in some circles still thought of it, like this but certainly in that day and age it was very much thought of as like a gay disease like only gay people got and that was it so he doesn't take kindly to being diagnosed with this because you know he thinks it makes him seem like he's gay and he realizes that he got it from having unprotected sex with a prostitute who was an intravenous drug user and so all his friends sort of you know banish him because they think he's he got it from being gay um you know he's like fired from his job he gets kicked out of his home and he finds out about this drug called AZT, um, which is said, you know, can can help with AIDS and prolong people's life. It is a disease that kills a lot of people uh, very quickly. He gets this AZT. It doesn't help him. That's also because he's doing a lot of cocaine at the time and drinking a lot. Um, and when he gets in the hospital after, he's like, that's AZT and everything else nearly kills him. He meets um, a person called Rayon, who is played by Jared Leto, who is a uh, drug addicted, HIV positive trans woman. It's a mouthful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, like they meet in the hospital. And they sort of, I guess, become friendly there. And then, like he, Ron leaves the hospital, and uh, Rayon is still there. But uh, Ron like links up with this doctor in Mexico, um, who tells him that like AZT doesn't work uh but he has these like supplements and and just different things like you know this peptide T protein thing and other things that he gives him uh they're not approved in the US but he says like this will help so he starts taking them and he finds he has improved 
and he realizes, well, I got better off taking these drugs. I can import them from Mexico, like illegally, and sell them to other people who are HIV positive. Um, so he does, and he sets up what is known as the Dallas Buyers Club, where instead of going to the hospital to get drugs or going to doctors, they come to him, they pay like a $400 membership fee, and he is like a drug dispensary. And so he gives them, you know, a $400 membership for a year, and they get the drugs they need. In this business, like he, he sets up business with Rayon, they like meet again, and they go into partnership. Anyway, the government, Food and Drug Administration, uh, do not like what he's doing um, because the stuff he's importing and treating these people with is not, you know, approved by their regulations. Um, so they shut the whole thing down. And, you know, the film basically ends. Rayon ends up dying because, you know, they were HIV positive and, and you know, doing a lot of drugs and stuff as well. And... Um, Woodruff ends up uh, suing the FDA, suing them for the right to take the drugs that he's on. Saying, you know, these have helped me, these have helped a lot of people, but you're saying it's legal because it's not approved. The end result of the film is the FDA does allow him to take the drugs. He, and a real-life person, ends up dying of AIDS in um, 1992, which was actually seven years after when doctors thought he would die. Um... So that is the film. Um, I'd wanted to see it for ages. Like it's been, it's not like, it's not like a film that's been on watches for ages in that it's like a really big, you know, famous film, you know, like say your pick. Um, but it has been, it has been on there for a long time because I've always heard good things about it. Um, and I did want to check it out. Um, so I thought it was great. I gave it four stars. Um, what did you think? Well, I gave it three and a half. I thought it was a good movie. Uh, I remember when it first came out and there was all this controversy surrounding um, or in Australia, IINet. Uh, a lot of people were, down, were pirating it and uh, they were getting caught and there was like a massive issue. So um, I think that was a big controversy that I would attach to that film. Um, among other controversies, I, I would also mention, yeah, the film was really well like set out. You know, as, as a film, it was good that there was a whole cause and effect you know the there was the 1980s he got hiv as, as you mentioned he got aids from intravenous drug user um immune system issues with azt um and drug drug use and every and, and alcoholism you know um but a lot of that sort of stuff having aids you wouldn't know where you you would get it from back in the 80s because it was such like a new thing so yeah and as you as you mentioned jason uh the whole idea of not understanding what to do all that sort of stuff people would call it a, a gay disease so um a few issues that i have with the film has to be the fact so i read online it's read online I, I didn't look too deep into the sources but as like an autobiography it was apparently like 62 point something percent true that's almost 50%, you know? So I understand that, that if they're making a film and it was a very popular film, they need to make it a film. They need to trim some things here, add some things there while still keeping true. So apparently uh, Ron Woodruff was alleged to be bisexual. Which obviously the film did not touch on at all. Yeah, it didn't touch on that. They they ended up making him uh, very very against homosexuality he you know with the, the slurs even the, obviously his friends were totally you know against it as soon as they found out that he had aids they he lost all his friends so i think making him you know a heterosexual you know gay hating person through the whole film um I, I found that to be a little bit of an issue because the character eve and the character rayon they were completely fabricated people they weren't real the idea of fabricating people for this film is what helped you know the plot helped the narrative and everything which again as a film I, I thought it were it was able to you know drive through pretty well you know as, as a film uh so you know eve being the doctor um was very caring she was like the inside girl you know uh inside doctor 
Um, and I thought that was a really interesting plot point because having that inside person, you know, helped further the story and all that jazz. But the the issue I think was with um, Rayon, where I suppose at the time it was 2014 that the film came out and it was also the 80s, based in the 80s. So calling, you know, there's a lot of, you know, trans issues and stuff, but I think um, it played on a very patronizing stereotype of a trans person because it was like every single like stereotype, you know, uh, cliche of what a, people would have expected a trans person to be or people that don't quite understand the identity, you know, sort of she was a prostitute, she had AIDS, like I understand she would have AIDS. It's the whole plot idea of the story, but she was only really put in and fabricated for the film, in my opinion, um, to create that sort of part of the plot, part of the narrative. Um, which overall made most of the story, you know, it was the story of this man that imports the FDA unapproved drugs in, um, helping a lot of people. And yeah, I, I, I think that, that, that righteousness of, of, of Ron Woodruff bring the drugs in and helping people and Rayon being that plot device are to make Ron understand what it's, what it's like to be homosexual or part of that sort of community um so a lot of that was you know maybe the the not the 62 percent the the 40 48 percent you know or 38 percent sorry 38 percent of the uh not being real i think that's what that cre- created yeah i mean i my counter to that would be so i didn't know any of that before you told me i'd I just, I didn't look too deep into it. I knew he was a real person, Ron Woodruff, and I just assumed, I mean, I know all films take, you know, creative license, but I figured, oh, it's probably mostly accurate. I didn't really look too deep into it. But um, I would say Rayon was included as a character to help Ron uh, become more tolerant because as the film, like once the film, like once the film went on, you know, he did get more accepting and, and tolerant towards gay people in the film, lesbian, transgender, etc. And I think that's probably also why they wrote him as straight in the film, even though he, you know, maybe wasn't in real life is because so that he could undergo this like a journey of, like I said, at the start of a film, he like hates gay people. Um, and then he obviously meets Rayon and he realizes that they're a human just like I am. And there's all these people who have the same disease I have. Um, and because so many of the people coming to get the drugs off him are gay or transgender or whatever, the whole point is they all, you know, have HIV. That's the reason they're there. Um, I think he was sort of, Rayon was sort of in the film to, to help him come towards, a more compassionate place. Would he have come to that place if Rayon wasn't in the film? Maybe. I, I can see it. I I don't think the character of Rayon is a prerequisite to him becoming more accepting. If you compare him at the start of the film and him at the end of the film, you know, he's like a, a different person in, in a sense. I mean, yeah, like I thought Matthew McConaughey was great in it. Like, I've, I think this is the eighth film of his I've seen. I would say it's in my opinion, probably the best that I've seen of him. Um, I mean, he's been really good in lots of other stuff, you know. A Time to Kill, he was really good in. Um, and I do think that, that is a better film than this. Um, we Are Marshall, he was really good in Interstellar. I wasn't like a, I wasn't like a super fan of that film, but um, I do think he was good in it. But I think he was like, this This was like the best for me. Is it, I mean, obviously, I've only seen eight of its films. He's been in more than that. But, um yeah this is for me like his best performance yeah absolutely he did a really good job i mean i you know i thought jared Leto was fine i thought jennifer garner was fine um but like the, the you know the story was driven by obviously the character of of matthew mcconaughey and i thought yeah he did a very good job of it and i think you know the film just showed like showed the attitudes of that time you know the discrimination that was faced where if you did get hiv aids like you'd be like okay cool we're, we're going to, you know, your friend's going to stop talking to you. You're going to kicked out of your house. You're going to get, you know, you're going to lose your job. Um, and, you know, even today, he said there's probably still people who think only gay people can get HIV or AIDS, which obviously we know now isn't true. I mean, I do think it was interesting that 
like we said, he did become more accepting. But I think it's that case of like, often people have to go through something themselves before they become accepting for their views to change, you know, which shouldn't really be the case. Like, you know, you shouldn't have to contract HIV or AIDS to figure out that, you know, gay people, you know, aren't this abomination. That is often a way of the world is, you know, most people have views on things and then, then they go through something and then their views change as a result. Yeah, yeah. Culture and views change as time goes on. You know, the inception of the internet, I think, has been a massive thing to help people understand identity and films, you know, like this This is probably one film of many that sort of tackles the subject and that theme. Um, another film would be Tangerine. That was a very interesting film. Uh, which we've, we've talked about on this podcast, actually. Oh, right, right. I gave it half a star, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was it the wobbly camera work and sort of odd? It was every, it was it was everything. I can't I can't remember what episode it was, but I it was Christian's pick. Go back through the archive, you'll find it. It was um yeah, it's it was yeah. uh yeah, we we just won't mention that film. <laughs> a little bit uh, a little bit mumblecore sort of, you know, like uncut gems kind of situation. Whereas, you know, shaky camera well, work. Well, I, I, I liked Uncut Gems. I liked that. I haven't even seen the whole but, movie uh, yet. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about yeah, it. I mean, it, yeah, it's worth a watch. Yeah, right. Definitely. Um, so there's two final points to make. One, I thought the script in this was really good. Um, I just thought it was written, it was a very well-written film. Um, and my final point is, it's, I just felt it highlighted this, you know, attitude of the FDA and the government at large. You know, and obviously talking about US government here, you know, there's probably examples you could find of it in Australia too. It was a perfect example of this government attitude of, you know, rather than helping people and figuring out, oh, well, there's these other drugs that actually can help people, they're like, oh, no, we're only concerned with what we've regulated and what's legal. And it's like, if you had any common sense, you would figure out, oh, this thing that isn't, you know, we haven't approved, but it's working, maybe we should approve that instead. Um and it's funny because I read an article about a month ago from the New York Times, which was titled, um, Why the Odds Are Stacked Against a Promising New COVID Drug. And when it says, a new drug quashes all coronavirus variants, but regulatory hurdles and a lack of funding make it unlikely to reach the US market anytime soon. So I went back and looked at this article. Again, I thought, oh, just like a very good thing to bring up. And the drug that they're actually talking about is interferon which is one of the ones that that a character that Ron Woodruff tried to import from Japan was interferon. And it's and the same and the same shit's happening today where interferon it, it is said can be, you know, there was this report um, you know, that interferon can like really help COVID and the FDA is like, oh well we're we're not gonna approve it. You know. And it's like, so, so the same, you know, the same shit that was happening in the 80s with the AIDS drugs and them not approving and regulating things is still happening 40 years later with COVID drugs. And so the attitude still hasn't changed. They're still under the same thing of, oh, well, if it's not approved by us and, and you know, then, you know, you can't get it. And it's like, but that's not the point. The point is not you approving it. The point is what's going to help people. The point is not, oh, have we given our ticket of approval? The point is, is this drug going to help people? Okay, yes, we'll approve it. Not some weird regulatory, stupid, you know, govern, government, you know, kick back some pharma companies, you know, big pharma things of, oh, well, you know, it's it's just, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting film in that it showcases what was happening 40 years ago and the same shit is happening today in different in a different sense yeah i think for you know pharmaceutical companies and uh the government they're they're kind of in cahoots to oh totally you know uh what's what's uh can make money you know what's profitable that's like i read something i I don't know if it was even that article maybe about interferon or if it was something else about how they done a study in um i want to say brazil um and it, it it might not have been interfering. It, it might have been a different a different one I'd read. Um, and, and actually, sorry, it, it, it was Brazil. That's right. Um, and so they did this study in Brazil, where it, you know showed it helped. But then 
the government was like, oh, well, um, that was conducted by research, like academic research, as opposed to the drug company. So it's not valid. And it's like, I think academic researchers are probably a hell of a lot more trustworthy and, and thorough in their research than drug companies. I mean, you know, it's like <laughs> the drug company, you know, if they do a test, you know, or, or they, you know, pay the FDA or whoever, you know, like they're not, they don't want the result to come back as, oh no, you know, the drug doesn't work. Like they want it to come back as, oh, that's an amazing drug. We'll approve it. So it's like, it, it just baffled me that this test, this research was done and they were like, oh, well, it wasn't done by the drug company, so it's not legit. It's like what? Like what? What? Who thinks that way? I don't want to delve too deep into the rabbit hole, but um, I think you know the the issue is there's a lot of doctors uh and money being passed around, and there's probably academic papers out there that are written, you know. So there is the issue of some academic papers being made. Oh yeah, sort yeah. of sponsored by the drug of, companies, and yes, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it's a whole yeah, thing. It's a rabbit hole. We'll leave for another day. But yeah, don't want to get too film, much but... into it. No, it was a film that was a, I thought it was a very good film, brought up some very interesting issues, and it's just funny to see how this the same stuff is happening today in a sense. So, what a sad state of affairs. Uh, talking of a sad state of affairs, let's move on to your pick. Well, it's a weird state of affairs. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> uh, my pick was Persona, uh, nineteen sixty six, uh, by one Ingmar Bergman. I think I've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people have heard of him. Um, it's a sort of, it's an art house film. It's the second, my second watch through. Now, the first time I watched it was during my film media and cultural studies at university. Um, and the subject was orchurism, you know, authorism, orchurism. People call it orchurism. Uh, Ingmar Bergman is an auteur, the same as Alfred Hitchcock is an auteur, you know, all that jazz. Uh, fancy words, um, but it was also on the theme of voyeurism, and I think that this film persona. Well, first, first I'll go through sort of the plot. I'll I'll try and elaborate on the plot without, you know, going off anybody else's description of the plot. So you've got two women, uh, Sister Alma, played by BB Anderson. It's a Swedish film, so Anderson, um, and Elizabeth Elizabeth Fogler or Vogler. Uh, by Liv Ullman, and I think Liv Ullman also helped write the film as well. Elizabeth is a patient. She's a former, well, I say former, but she's an actress, and she stopped speaking. So she's being tended to by nurse, or as, as she's mentioned in the film, as Sister Alma. The film actually starts with this boy, and it's like, what's going on? You know, there's all these, a spider and this and that. and But yeah, the boy comes up, he gets out of bed. The sort of the the cinematography, in my opinion, is fantastic. But a lot of the shots are done really well. It's showing you his back, the different, you know, his shoulder blades, the sort of form, which is a massive theme, I think, in this film. It's about form. It cuts to uh, Sister Alma tending to Elizabeth Fogler. They end up going to a beach house to, you know, the Sister Alma looks after um, Elizabeth. Uh, at a beach house and they start bonding and they're telling stories and there's a lot of quiet moments. There's no dialogue. Uh, it's just close-ups of, of, of their face as they sort of talk. Then there's a lot of silence in the film. Um, a lot of like just seeing the sort of female form and the, these conversations. So yeah. And at the beach house, they, they really get along with each other. They really see each other within each other. So there's sort of like a, the, the duality of that. Elizabeth and Sister Alma start to sort of almost turn into each other in these moments. Uh, again, it's really difficult to describe, but they start to sort of see each other in these moments. So um, Sister Alma is the one that starts to go crazy. Uh, not crazy, but having psychological issues. And Elizabeth becomes a bit more uh, mentally stable and a lot of things happen. Um, it's really hard to describe again, you know, um, we find out that sister Alma has a husband and starts to say to, uh, Elizabeth that we are nothing alike and you left your child and what wanted nothing to do with the child. The film basically ends <laughs> with, um, the 
you know, showing you someone filming the film. Uh, yeah, and it's it's a really strange affair. So I I would I did give the film. I don't remember what I gave it on Letterbox, but off the top of my head, I'd probably give it a four, four and a half. The main reason why I would give it that is because it was it's so different to other movies, um, especially the nineteen sixties. So being an art house film, he went in sort of a a completely different direction to a lot of other people. The idea of voyeurism is obviously attached to uh, sexuality, the male gaze, female form. Um, So a lot of narrative movies, even now, are very sort of male-centric. It's action movies or this or that. And you still see tropes like the first, I think they call it the the, the last girl, sorry, the last girl, you know, um, and things like that. So I think the film, which revolving around these two women, connecting with each other and seeing the female form. It was obviously addressing the male gaze as a male. They were two very beautiful women. There were moments where there was subtle subtext, like the scene where um, uh, Alma walks out, she has a hat on and she's in like a, in swimwear and she puts a hat down on a bench and she puts down a, a glass and she picks the hat up and the glass smashes and then she comes out and it's all just very sort of like, almost mesmerizing to watch and she starts sweeping up the glass and there's still a shard of glass and um on on the ground and elizabeth comes past and you see alma look at the glass and mentions nothing to elizabeth and you just see it her walk past again and you're thinking you're not going to say anything to her or it's moments like that that makes you make you think what's what's happening in these scenes yeah the cinematography was amazing even in those moments you know so uh, two women connecting and talking about their sexuality wasn't really thought of in the 1960s. Sister Alma having an orgy <laughs> was a very interesting conversation, and she's getting into depth, like into depth with with that conversation. And um, Elizabeth would just sit there and listen. Like there's some some interesting moments in the film that I, I found very sort of artful and different, you know? So what, what did you think of the film, Jason? So before I get into what I think of the film, I was going to say, if you wanted another film that deals in similar themes, I mean, it's a different setting and it's certainly more, I guess, normal in its, in its narrative and it's, you know, way it's filmed. What is normal? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I'd like to think I'm normal. <laughs> Semi-normal. Um, You're unique. Everybody loves you, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> um is a film that George and I actually discussed on a podcast um, a while back from 1961, so it's, you know, half a decade earlier, uh, called The Children's Hour, um, and stars Audrey Hepburn and Shirley MacLaine. Um, it says, I'll read you just for letterbox synopsis. It says, a private school for young girls is scandalised when one spiteful student accuses the two young women who run the school of having a lesbian relationship. Um, so obviously different different everything but it's similar themes i would say so that would be you know not 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 what i'm trying to like you know downplay your idea and say oh well this isn't persona isn't isn't revolutionary because for children's hour did five years earlier but it, it's just the thing of that that and I, I very much like for children's hour i gave it four stars um that was an interesting film especially in that it dared to talk about those themes in the 60s right um, i haven't seen the children's hour I, I, everybody knows Audrey Hepburn, um, so I do know Audrey Hepburn. But I would assume in the sixties, if it's more of a uh, like a more mainstream title, um, I, I'm curious about how they would have addressed a lesbian relationship because it's like they're accused, like the idea of them being accused. It's like in Persona, there is you know, there seems to be like sexual undertones, almost you know, like um, with them talking about things, but um, it wasn't quite. On, on the nose and I feel like in in the children's out it's more like a persona it's more um understated or not even stated at all right it's more like the atmosphere or or you know as opposed to you know like the children's out they are accused I mean nobody accuses anybody of anything in persona it's just a, 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 an atmosphere and this subtext and this tone um but it, it I I think you would you would probably I think enjoy the children's hour because it deals in similar themes just maybe more overtly 
and mainstream than Persona. So as to what I thought of Persona, um, it was a very confusing film. Obviously, this was the first Ingmar Bergman film I've seen. Um, I've been wanting to see any of his films for a long time, but I haven't got around to it until now. Um, so it was a very confusing film um, and a very complex film. And obviously what it was trying to communicate in the messages, etc. So look, I gave it one star. That probably was harsh, but I I just it's probably one of the most like incomprehensible films I've ever seen in terms of like the plot, in terms of like, you know, way it was shot and the visuals, in terms of like, you know, the meaning behind it, like what is, you know, what is Bergman trying to say? Um, so that just very much, I guess, impeded my enjoyment of it because I couldn't figure out what the fuck was going on. Um, so that was, you know, that I, I definitely struggled with that. And I did do quite a bit of, and I do this with, with every, like, this is the thing with every film that I don't get, I always read stuff after because I figure, oh, maybe it's something I missed, or maybe I didn't understand this or that. So I always, before I actually give a rating, I always go and read quite a lot of analysis about a film, and sometimes it changes my mind. Sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, I get it now. Oh, yeah, I didn't realize that. And sometimes I'm still as confused as ever. So I did read quite a bit on Persona, and I I can appreciate, and I guess this is the reason, I know this is going to sound funny because it's, it's like, you know, it's the difference between, like, the worst ever and sort of worst. Like, but the the reason I gave it one star instead of half a star, say, is because I can appreciate there is something there Bergman is trying to say. And obviously, and this doesn't really go into my ratings, but I can also appreciate it is obviously this very influential, impactful film. And it, you know, it had a very strong, like, stylistic influence on later films. Now, I don't take that really into account because there's a lot of, you know, famous or influential films that I've watched that I hated that I happily gave, you know, half a star to. But I, I, I could, you know, I could see that Bergman was, there was something there is is my point. I just couldn't get it. And so I, I couldn't enjoy it as much as like you or someone else who, who could understand it. I just, I didn't get it. So it was hard for me to get to the end of the film and be like, oh, that was great because I don't know what the fuck I just watched. So, it, you know, it's it's a thing of I'm like, but but I can appreciate, you know, it was there were elements of it I enjoyed. I thought it was a well written film. I thought the script was really good. I thought the lighting obviously um was, you know, really used well in some scenes. Um so certainly there were like it wasn't irredeemable, um, is is my point. It was just incomprehensible. Some people do say uh if you are watching an Ingmar Bergman film. Uh, is that he puts a lot of himself, his views, his sort of uh, experiences into a film. They say that if you've watched one Bergman film, watch another one, then watch another one, you start to understand where he's coming from with a lot of films. You start to understand him as, the, as they say, the core orchier. He was always behind the camera, you know, stuff like that. A little quote uh, from Bergman that I came across was, artists need art and art art needs life. So if you were thinking of art uh, in sort of a avant-garde way, like an experimental way, it's like what's going on in, in his, his mind and he wanted to get that out as art, he needed to use, uh, you know, people and, and the film process to be able to give it life. No, that, yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing is I certainly could tell there was depth to it and I could certainly tell there was a lot of thematic meaning and, you know, subtext and and different elements that he was trying to get across. I mean, and so, yeah, Wikipedia says, uh, the animatic film has been called the Mount Everest of cinematic analysis. According to film historian Peter Cowley, everything one says about Persona may be contradicted. The opposite will also be true. Um, and so there's a lot of people who've done a lot of analysis on this who are far smarter than, than me or even, dare I say, you, um, who, <laughs> who um, you know, have, have tried to analyse this. George and I um, discussed this when we were talking about 
Bad Boy Bobby and I said, I don't like weird films. He's like, what do you find? What do you, you know, does that mean that weird equals bad? And I was like, well, sort of. But it's like, I can appreciate, even though I don't, don't didn't get this film at all. And I said, I think I, I mentioned to George, I don't even know if it was on, on the actual recording or if it was just, you know, a commentary or what. I said, I could watch Persona 10 more times and I probably still wouldn't be any closer to getting it. But I said, I can appreciate he's trying to do something because I feel like there are some films, especially films like Persona is held up there very highly. You know, people consider Persona to be one of the best films ever made. Um, There are films that also have that reputation that maybe are also weird or complex or, you know, confusing. And I feel like some of those, I don't have any examples off the top of my head, but I feel like some of those films are, it's perhaps like more, they lean into that, and there's nothing there, right? It's empty. They're just doing it for the sake of doing it. Oh, isn't this a confusing, weird film? Wow. Whereas I feel like Persona did that, but there was something there. I just don't know what it was, but I can. There was something there. So I'm like, you know, I, I can I can appreciate the point of it. I just don't get the point of it. I think you know, seeing things from an app. An abstract. I'm a big fan of abstract art. You know, I love, I love classical art. You know, which uh, I struggle with. I, I I struggle with abstract. I don't get it. So, abstract can be like you know, you you may be able to look at something, like let's say it's it's you know, an a painting, and it's just it's just like odd shapes, abstract shapes, whatever. Um if you look at it and you get something out of it, a feeling or, you know, something that the artist might be trying to allude, you know, you may think the artist is trying to allude to, then it, it is what you think it is. Um, and that's what I get from Persona. Although I have got, I have had some context of what Persona is about, but when you see the many, many scenes of Persona where it's a woman in uh, swimwear or it's it's they're very beautiful women. There's a lot of the close-ups seeing this sort of like um, the impurities of in their face, and you know um, all those sort of um, moments. You know, um, you sort of think about like what what am I feeling in that moment? My final two compliments of the film is it was short, which I like. I I don't quickly. I've I've long had an intolerance to long films. Um, so the fact that it was 85 minutes, I appreciated. It was brisk. The pacing was good. It ended under an hour and a half. I liked it. It's, again, it's proof that you can make, I mean, I, I don't think it's a good film, but for the sake of argument, you can make a good film and you don't need three hours to tell it. And I thought it was interesting too. And I sort of wished they'd maybe, I mean, I, I know this wasn't, you know, the, why the film was made and it, it would be a totally different film if it did do this. But I liked that there was that moment of, you know, because uh, Alma obviously, you know, takes Elizabeth to this, this you know, beach house, this cottage to like care for her and, and whatever else. And, you know, it's like she's the patient. Uh, so, you know, Alma is, is the, you know, the, the carer or the nurse and Elizabeth is the patient. And then obviously there's that scene where she, where Alma reads the mail and, she sees that it's like the opposite, you know, like that she's actually the patient because Elizabeth has presumably written to, I guess it's the doctor saying, Oh, you know, here's what uh, Alma has told me. Cause obviously, you know, uh, uh, Elizabeth doesn't speak for really the whole film. I mean, apart from a few words. So it's like, you know, Alma is just the one talking endlessly and sharing, you know, and sharing all these stories and opening up about all these things in the past. And Elizabeth's, you know, said, Oh, wouldn't this whole letter to the doctor being like, Oh, well, Elizabeth, uh, um, Alma did this, and and she says that, and she's in this state of mind, and like I thought that was a really good moment of like you like the dynamics are totally flipped. Like you think you're there caring for this person, and then you figure out, oh, I'm actually the patient, you know. And it's it's it's. I think it would have been if we'd maybe done it strategically. I think Shutter Island, which obviously George and I discussed on the last episode, would have been a really good like accompaniment to this because that's a similar premise um, in a sense. So I think that would have... I, I found that interesting, that scene when it happened, and I think maybe had it like leaned more into that um, and gone more into this thing of like, who is... Like, you know, like... 
maybe if it had gone more into that thing of like, you know, like a psychological, and I, I, I know it is described as this, but like a psychological horror, you know, and like gone into this thing of, oh, maybe she's the patient. It's all this elaborate thing, you know, that, that she's actually the one being studied. You know, maybe I would have liked it more. But I mean, I, I thought that was that was an interesting twist for me and I felt like it maybe didn't do as much as I would have liked it to have done with that twist. I mean, I, I, I could have seen the film going in a different direction if it, if like that was the turning point, but I, I, I get, I get obviously it was a, what Bergman was going for was not that it was a very different film in that sense. But, but I, I, I when that twist happened, I appreciated it because I didn't see that coming at all. Um, so when it happened, I was like, oh, she's the patient. Damn, okay. Let's move on to our final pick, which is George's pick. Um, so this is Amelie from uh, 2001, uh, a French film um, directed by Jean-Pierre Genot. Now, I know you have seen some of his films before. A few years ago, I saw Delicatessen. Which was actually your first film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's also done The City of Lost Children, which is um, quite a famous film. He did Alien Resurrection. Resurrection, yeah. Apparently that got really bad reviews. And it's funny that, you know, he sort of makes these interesting films when he's like, oh, I'll do an alien film. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, he did A Very Long Engagement, which also stars Audrey Tattoo, who's in um, Amelie. Um, so he's done, yeah, a few different things over the years he's only he's only released actually uh he had a film come out last year called big bug big bug i've seen big bug it's a very colorful film well that was only his eighth film in 20 years so like between 1991 and 2022 he's only made eight films so uh so you're obviously familiar with his work i am i am not i mean i have heard of a city lost children and i do own a very long engagement but i haven't seen it yet um but you've obviously seen more of his work this was the first film of his that i'd seen so the film follows uh the character of amelie pauline uh and apologies in advance for any butchering of any french pronunciations um i wish i could speak french i would love to live in paris one day but unfortunately i live in australia and speak australian australian hell yeah you will get up with the you will put up with the pronunciations you get yeah mate um yeah mate (laughs) let's go hell hell yeah (laughs) So it follows Emily, uh, who um, had a strange upbringing um, with her strange mother and father, and the film sort of it sort of touches on that briefly, and then it, it uh, goes to current day, where she's in her um, like early twenties, working as a waitress in a cafe, uh, which is also filled with all these you know, strange, different people who work there or who are customers or who, you know, like live in her apartment building or whatever. The point of the film is she finds this box um, like hidden inside her house, which was left there by this this person who lived there like 40 years ago as a boy. And she she sort of resolves to, to find the owner of this box. And she says that, you know, she says to herself, well, if if, if I return the box to him and he is grateful for it and he's happy to be reunited with this i will devote my life to to bring happiness to other people so she finds a guy who the box belonged to uh and he's obviously very grateful that he's got it back after all this time so then you know the film sort of follows her doing all these good deeds for different people so you know she tries to to set um one of the people she works with up with this regular in the cafe there's a, there's a woman who lives in a in her block of flats who like whose husband like left her or something. So she writes some like fake letter from the husband pretending that, you know, he, he always loved her. She like plays all these like practical jokes on like green grocer guy who has this like apprentice who he treats really badly. And so she like gets back at him. And she also uh, finds this photo album from this guy. And she resolves to like give that back to him. Um, and this sort of romance develops between them and they play this like cat and mouse game um, for a lot of a film and it basically ends with them you know they they finally meet um, and they start a relationship and the film ends 
Uh, that's probably a very quick, brief overview. I mean, it, it is more in-depth than that. But... <clears throat> I like how you just said, and then the film ends. There's no, they lived happily ever after. Well, presumably they did. I mean, they seem pretty happy. They were smiling as the film ends. So, you know. <laughs> oh, well, um, well, that's the main thing, isn't it? So, look, I hated the film. Oh, um, no. I didn't, I didn't know if I expected to hate it. Um, I, I, I don't really know what I would think of it going in. Um, but I hated it. I gave it half star. Um, so George will hate me even more now. <laughs> gonna make me cry, Jason. I'm gonna cry. Uh, I thought you're gonna make George cry as well. Um, I think so. So wow. yes, that was my uh, rating. What What did you think of it? Well, first of all, I'd like to mention uh, this was as George's pick. Um, I've had a chat to him about Jean Pierre Jeunet. Uh, how Delicatessen is a good movie. I've seen Big Bug, and he said one of his favorite films is Amelie. I didn't. Think it, it was maybe years after I, I saw Delicatessen that I found that Emily, who I, I used to see the poster or you know at the old video shops and stuff, I realized, hey, this is Jean Pierre Jeunet. It just didn't look like his kind of film because Delicatessen is has some morbid themes, like a butcher shop that serves people people you know um yeah i thought it was a fantastic film i gave it four and a half did add it to my favorites uh even sitting here even sitting here as you described the plot to me i had a big smile on my face i i thought it was a really good movie um it's within the first i, I counted it about 15 minutes into the film she finds the box you know she drops the what is it the ball the marble or whatever it is and then she finds the box 15 minutes in so up until that point they were able to jean you know jean pierre the writers the him as the director obviously was able to describe describe the setting like where it is the time you know with the um the death of uh princess diana so it was the time although the film was in 2001 i think princess diana died in the 90s so I was able to get the time, the place, and also the characters, the the people in her community. And that's a big thing that I think Jean-Pierre Genet always tries to do. His sort of signature, I guess, of, of if you want to call him an auteur as well, bringing that word back in, um, is the people, the objects, the place, you know, everything like that. Because I think although a lot of the scenes, the whole thing had this sort of like film of yellow, to it delicatessen had the same thing it was like yellow uh and then there was a lot of greens and maybe a lot of reds and stuff like that in some scenes but i was very saturated very colorfully saturated yellowish film i think i'm not too sure if he was trying to uh show the reality while also the camera angles to convey the idea that something's going on here or something like that uh through the film was sort of really sort of subverted that yeah very expressive it was a very expressive expressive movie it was almost like a cartoon the acting was high because sometimes you know you can have a fantastic actor or actress and they do a really good job it's very serious but sometimes you've got a film that they just they crank it up to 11 and they're able to convey the message that they you know the acting they're trying their best you know to for it to be so clear she was so good at being a nuisance when she was a child. As, as you said, uh, you mentioned in, the, in your synopsis, she finds a box and tries to do a good deed and then ends up doing all these good deeds. And she still uses that sort of sense of, um, you know, being a nuisance, which in a way she was still kind of being a nuisance, taking her father's gnome and sending it around the world. Uh, I just thought those moments were just fantastic. It's just like something I would love to do. It was, it was so unique. Uh, the humor, um, the idea of finding that the other uh, man, you know, the other man that she ends up falling in love with, he works at a, a, a sex shop. It was a very light-hearted movie. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it was fantastic. Jean-Pierre Genet did it again, you know. <laughs> so George, George has taste, and I don't. I'm not saying you don't have taste, though. How dare you? <laughs> no, no, no. Second I, episode in, and taste. I'm already getting insulted. <laughs> Oh, jeez. I assume Christian used to fling all sorts of insults at you like that. Both of them. George, Christian, you. I'm safe from nobody. It's awful. (laughs) The 
<laughs> the world is against you, Jason. It really is. Or maybe you're just against the world. Yeah, maybe, you, maybe you have this bad. sense of righteousness. <laughs> you're the rebel, man. I am. You know, you're like the, the mainstream, almost mainstream at Rebel. I know you enjoy your mainstream movies, <laughs> but I think, um, you know, you have some really just opinions. Um, and, you know, you do look in depth at a lot of films. I try. I try. But yeah, I, I guess this movie just wasn't wasn't 100% for you. Well, this is the thing. I hate these fucking whimsical films like this. <laughs> that are like these whimsical, whimsical. like <laughs> carefree. It's, I can't deal with them. It was the same thing, and I gave this half star too, much to George's annoyance as well. It's the same thing like Breakfast at Tiffany's. That film annoyed me just like Amelie did because I'm like, it's this ridiculous person and this ridiculous plot and nothing of great significance happens. And it's just like, oh, it's so whimsical and fun. And, and it's just, I, I just, I can't, I just can't deal with it. It's just stupid. And it's the same reason I don't like Tim Burton films because they deal a lot in that. It's the same reason I presume I wouldn't like Wes Anderson films or I'm willing to give him a chance uh, and actually watch some before I, before I comment on it. Um, but, you know, I, I don't like these sort of like, you know, whimsical, surreal sort of films, um, you know, because this was like, you know, there were moments in this like, you know, they broke the fourth wall at times and like the character of Amelie would like talk to the, the camera, you know. And so I, I just, I just don't like that in films. I don't like, I mean, it was, it was her story. It was her story. So I think how the narrator, the narrator filled in to say, this is the father. He takes apart his toolbox, cleans it and puts it all back together. And the mother did the same thing, you know, with her handbag and all those little details, really trying to bring the characters out and really set it before, like within, again, that 15 odd minutes. But then breaking the fourth wall with Emily, it was her movie. So of course, you know, she's going to break the fourth wall because it's all about her. You know what I mean? I think that's what that was saying, you know. I'm not a huge fan of whimsy sometimes in films. Sometimes I cringe. Yeah. Whereas this whole film, I was just cringing. I'm like, this is so ridiculous. Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and like this is the thing too that narration just annoyed me like i didn't feel like it added anything to the story particularly it just annoyed me that we we're getting all these random backstory details and all these random characters you know and i'm like i don't care like i didn't care what this random person sitting in the cafe likes i will give the film a rare compliment even though i gave it half star and say that i do think the colors in it were good there's obviously a lot of color in it and i do think obviously the locations were good i mean it, it's it's set in france so it certainly looked like it was filming filmed in france i'm sure it was um so yes i i thought where it was you know the the, the sets they used and and where and the locations they used um i've i did enjoy them well i think that wraps up episode 39 Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, you can give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and we'll see you next time.